Amen. Thank you, Kristen Millis. Appreciate that much. You grab your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8, a couple bookend Psalms, one last week and now the one this week. Psalm chapter 8, as we get into our Bible study this morning. Glad you are here. Appreciate it so very much. And uh, looking forward to today, what the Lord has for us. We'll go ahead and uh, jump in. Psalm chapter 8, we'll read it together. And uh, You'll see the title of the message is simply, Go in the Name of the Lord. You'll see why here in just a moment. But I hope you'll look with me. Psalm chapter number 8. Notice what the psalmist writes for us. This is a psalm of David. We'll talk about that here in a moment. But notice verse 1. We'll read the entire psalm. O Lord our God, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who hast set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man, that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man, that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou, Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yea, and the the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, O Jehovah, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. It is a beautiful psalm before us. We, we know David well, don't we? David, uh, David is the kind of guy that most of us would be envious of, right? Um, in, in our days, we would say that he was a great athlete. In that day, he was a great warrior. In fact, from an early age, he had the reputation of being a great warrior. It's funny, as we're studying and, and, and reading through the life of David once again. Long before he fought many battles, he was already known as a man of war, which is kind of interesting. So they must have noticed something in him because the servants, even when they were referencing and referring David to Saul as a player on the harp, they said, this is a, this is a sturdy young man. He, he is a warrior and so forth. And boy, David was not only an athlete or a warrior, David was a musician. He played in the band and on the sports team. He had it all, man, and he was good at it all. We know David, boy, he was a musician like none other. Very cunning, he was described as in the Scripture. So David's one of those guys, boy, you'd be jealous of. He had it all together. He, he was the complete package, if we may describe him as such. And yet for you and I, I think one of the greatest aspects, the warrior aspect of David was very profitable for Israel. But for you and I, the fact that he was a, a wonderful musician, Able to write down the expressions of his heart and feelings in song as we read. Uh, Boy, uh, that blesses us. Like this psalm here. Today, you and I have already uh, sung songs of worship and praise. And I hope, I I mean this, we say this often. Pastor Aaron says it, we we, uh, encourage it often. That every song we sing is an expression of our heart. It's an expression, really, of our spirit and soul. And boy, as you think about this, and in fact, one of the great joys of singing Christmas songs is, boy, just the, the joy that it expresses in our hearts and the anticipation and excitement about the Christmas season. And so we sing songs, we sing carols, and some of you are singing in August in anticipation. Reality is you're expressing what? Oh, my heart's looking forward to this. I'm excited about this. And boy, this, this song before us, demonstrates as well as anything that music takes our expression to the next level. 
Oh, you can say I feel this way, but boy, when you break out in song, and depending on how well you sing, it may be, okay, anyway, but boy, does it, it's just, wow, yeah, they really, man, you, boy, he's got a song in his heart. She's got a song in his heart, and it's just, you can't hold it in anymore. It's just expressing that, and this psalm before us is literally a song that erupts from the hearts and thoughts of David. You can just pick up on this. We read it, man. It is a praise to God. It is an exaltation of God. It is a a celebration of what God has done for David. And, And I would put it, as I said, an expression of his heart and soul. There's many out there, whether it be theologians and commentaries and or commentators, excuse me, that, that would agree with my belief that this was probably written while David was still in his teens, his youth, maybe early 20s, but it was while he was quite young that this psalm was written. Yet for David, compared to most people, even twice his age, he had, had, a, he had experienced a whirlwind life already. We think back of his life. He had been a child left in the fields. He was the caboose of a, a large family, the, the last of eight children, for, or ch- eight boys, sons for Jesse. And, and he, uh, he was an afterthought in many ways, if you think about it. The baby largely forgotten until Samuel came along. And Samuel went through every one of those brothers and said, I'm going to anoint the king. It's not you. It's not you. It's not you. It's not you. Seven times over. And he looks Jesse in the eyes and says, isn't there someone else? Don't you have another son? Oh, oh what's his name? Because <laughs> that happens when you have more than five kids. What's his name? <gasps> oh, yeah. Jesse. Oh, oh, yeah, David. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, but he, he's a Ron. He, you know, he's the. Yeah. Call him. And they call David, and Samuel anoints him to be the next king of Israel. And just when life was getting back to normal for David, boy, all of a sudden a, a messenger, a servant comes from the, uh, not just anybody, but the king of Israel. He says, David, we, we've heard that you are cunning on the harp. And boy, King Saul, he has these moods. Boy, is he in a bad mood. And, and music's the only thing that we have found uh, to chase away the bad spirit. And so we need you, David. In fact, Saul had written a letter to Jesse asking David to come. And so David did. In fact, immediately when Saul saw him and soon after, he, he fell in love with David in the sense of this is a sharp young man. Jonathan, his son, became great friends with him. He had a love for him. He made him his armor bearer. But somewhere along the way, David was back home, wasn't he? Maybe a little taste of normality. Maybe David was, or maybe Saul was off doing something as a king, and David had headed back home. And, and in that, he was embarked upon a simple chore for his father. To deliver food to his brothers, his three oldest that had joined the, the battle, have, had joined the forces of Israel to fight their old enemy, the Philistines. And as he went to, on this simple chore, he found himself soon standing before the formidable champion of the nation that wanted to conquer Israel and wipe them off the face of the earth. And God used him in that moment to deliver Israel, to bring glory to God's name. And in that, David was thrust into the lion, uh, the limelight, the bright, bright light. Israel would know him. The Philistines would know him. We can just imagine, soon after that, in his teen years, and maybe early 20s, he, he would every once in a while, uh, still a few moments away, this is before Saul chased him, he, he stole a few moments away, and you can imagine as a musician, boy, his heart was overflowing with praise for God, what God had already done in his life, and he penned those thoughts, those feelings down. He wrote a song. 
forgive me, but in my juvenile imagination, I could just imagine that there was a time that David played his harp and he sung this psalm. Praise to God himself. I find it interesting, the components of this psalm, that we see his astonishment first in verse number 4. Did you catch it? It is an astonishment that you and I should share that the, the God of heaven would take notice of him, that he would care about this little shepherd boy, the last, the caboose of the family, an insignificant little boy that in that day, boy, if you were the second born, you lost out on a lot. Could you imagine being the eighth born? You had nothing. You were nobody. And he says, wait a minute, God, you took notice of me and beyond that, you didn't just be mindful of me. You visited me. God, you were there with me in that pasture, but you were also there with me in that valley. When I faced the greatest obstacle, the greatest enemy I've ever faced, you, you took note of me. Compared to that great giant Goliath, verse number two, did you see what he says? I mean, I, I was like a, a, a suckling, a baby. <laughs> I was like a child before him. I was nothing in his eyes, yet God visited me and he caused me and used me to silence the, the great champion and enemy of Israel. He praises God in the psalm for the victory that God has afforded him, something we'll speak of in a moment. But I don't want you to miss the bookend verses of this psalm. Verse 1 and verse number 9, because there's something that David reiterates here that David said to that giant Goliath. When they met in the valley, and both armies on either side of this valley, the mountains as the Bible describes it, and as the champion, and then soon after David comes to meet him in that valley. You remember, Goliath was rather felt uh, um, that Israel was doing him a great wrong by sending him a child. By sending this little boy out to fight him. And, and he proceeded to tell David, look him in the eyes. Today, basically, I'm going to kill you. And then after I'm done, the birds and the beasts of the field will feed upon you. That could be a little intimidating coming from a 10-foot tall guy. Who carried a sword that he couldn't even pick up, basically, without the power of God upon him. That's pretty intimidating. And yet, do you remember what? David said in response in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 45, we, we know it well. He says this, I come to thee, don't miss it, in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defied. Did you catch in verse 1 and verse 9 here that he glorifies that very same name? How excellent is thy name. How powerful is thy name. How, how beyond description is the name of the Lord, Jehovah, the God of heaven. And he describes him that, um, that name. Again, he, he says it here in all the earth, how excellent it is. Because why? Well, that was the name in which he went when he defeated Goliath. Don't miss the verse. I come to you in the name of the Lord. Now, I want to submit something to you for a careful application this morning. You and I face troubles. We face trials. We face struggles. And may I put it this way. See, for David, when he faced Goliath, there was a confidence there. But let's put ourselves in a, for a moment in the shoes of Saul. Let's put ourselves in the, in the shoes of all the other Israelites. They, they were sitting on that mountainside for many days looking down upon this champion, and they were simply thinking this, there's no way. 
There's no way on God's green earth that any of us looking around at the army, even Saul who stood shoulder, heads and shoulders above everybody else, they couldn't take on Goliath. It was a lost cause. And they were just delaying the inevitable by waiting to go to war with the Philistines to attack this Goliath. It was, it was hopeless. For them, this valley marked the last valley of their life. This valley of Elah, this was, this was nothing more than a final defeat in their minds. And I tell you, today, you and I may have valleys. This week ahead, we, we may be going into our own valley of Elah. We, we may have something that, I don't know how I'm going to handle this. I'm glad it's Sunday, not Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, when I'm going to face this, because I don't know how it's going to play out. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't think I can overcome this. I don't think, and we have, like, the Israelites standing on that edge of the mountain. We have this dread for our own valley even this week i certainly know of some who've gotten uh, horrific medical news a valley has been shown to them now in this next moment and and more than one that there is a valley that lies ahead but i would challenge you and i today that it would be good for you and i to follow the example of david on a daily basis what a difference it would make in your life and in my life when every day we awoke and whatever that day holds for us, we simply say this, I'm going to go today in the name of the Lord. Can I put it this way and, and just to remind us, because we heard earlier as the choir sang about, as we read in Psalm 118, this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I tell you what, what a difference it would make if every day you and I simply said something to the effect of this. We woke up and we said, you know, today I'm going into this day in the name of the Lord. I go to bring him glory and I go in the power of his strength. My friend, I don't know what your valley is this week. I don't know the valley you're already in. But this one thing I do know, that if you and I will go in the name of the Lord, we can turn any valley into a victory. Oh, it doesn't mean it always turns out the best here on earth. It doesn't mean that it always defeat a giant, but it sure does mean that it always brings God's glory and God uses it for our good. See, promised, promised in Romans chapter 8, and verse 28. Can I encourage you this day? Some of you are already dreading this next week. Some of you are already dreading the next month. Maybe there's something next year yet you're worried about, you're concerned about. Could I just encourage you to wake up every day, you, you enter every valley, and you simply say this, I'm going in the name of the Lord. Why? Because how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Is the only name that you and I can go in and be guaranteed victory. That he'll see us through. His name is all-powerful. It is his name that, that causes demons and Satan to fear. It is his name alone by which salvation comes. The only name given among men under heaven whereby you must be saved. Jesus Christ. And so, friend, that name, the name of God, you and I get to go in it every day. My, if we make that our thoughts in the morning, I go in the name of the Lord. How greatly it would set the proper tone, reminding us that we are a child of the King. 
I love David. You know why? Because he's such a wonderful Old Testament type of Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about it, how he pictures that? Uh, This little shepherd boy had many things in common with Christ. Listen to this list. Both were born in Bethlehem. Both were shepherds. Both were rejected temporarily by their brethren. Both faced an enemy in the wilderness and won. Both were exiles before being made kings. Both took a bride while in exile. And both were beloved. The very name David means beloved. And beyond that, the pictures of David that he is of Jesus Christ, many of the Psalms that David wrote describe Jesus Christ as the Messiah. You know, this psalm before us, Psalm chapter 8, is also considered a messianic psalm. Simply meaning that it describes our Messiah, it describes our Savior, Jesus Christ, in many ways. One of the ways that a psalm we know is a messianic psalm is because it's quoted in the New Testament. Jesus Christ, or one of the New Testament authors, they pluck it out of the psalms and says, okay, this was a prophecy. This was written by men of old, led by the Holy Spirit, to describe for us Jesus Christ, to describe our Messiah. And the same is true of Psalm chapter number 8. It is quoted multiple times. It is applied to Jesus Christ, making it a messianic psalm. It happens in several places. Uh, Matthew chapter 21 and verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 27. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22. And then Hebrews chapter number 2. And I I want you to turn there with me, if you will. Hebrews chapter 2. Notice it. Keep your spot in Psalm 8. We'll be back there. But turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2, if you will. We'll look at verses 6 and following. There's a great great description of Christ in these first few chapters of Hebrews, uh, setting him up as the one by which we have salvation, describing him to be above the angels and uh, to be above all mankind in so many ways, and our high priest, and so many great descriptions of Jesus Christ. And we come to Hebrews chapter 2, we look at verses 6 and following. Notice the description that is given, and you'll see Psalm chapter 8 quoted. Okay, Notice what it says. But one in a certain place testified, we know who that is, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? And now understand, contextually here, he's applying all this to Jesus Christ. Uh, he's describing verse number five kind of introduces the reality that he hasn't said this about the angels. He said this only about uh, Christ in reference to him. And notice what he goes on to say. Thou mayest him a little lower than the angels, his incarnation as a human being. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. Okay, so he takes it in Hebrews here and he goes on. You can see this. Notice actually the first few words of verse 9. But we see Jesus. Okay, he talks about made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death for you and I, how he died upon the cross. Now, think about this. Psalm chapter 8, David is, is celebrating, praising God that he has taken you and I, that he's mindful of mankind. He, he's given us dominion. We'll talk about that here in a moment. He, he, he's blessed us in so many ways. In the New Testament, they take that passage and they apply it to Jesus Christ. They say, listen, boy, God has magnified Jesus Christ. 
He's used him as a means of visiting you and I. He has a means to think of mankind. And, and he has put him in dominion and in rule over everything. As we'll see play out in here. It amazes me that long before Jesus Christ appeared in a manger, the Holy Spirit led David to pen this psalm that speaks to the great victory that we have in Jesus Christ our Savior. This is what he brings to us. This is what he gives us. This is what he has achieved for us. Here's the point made in the New Testament through those quotes of the psalm, and don't miss this. Here's the point. Christ has regained all that Adam has lost in sin. Jesus Christ has regained all that Adam lost because of sin. I love the description. His glory is manifest in the heavens, in the heart of every believer, certainly. When God created man, he did what? He gave us dominion uh, over many things. Verse 6 says dominion over the fish, over the fowl, in every living thing. We know that mankind was in essence appointed deputy of God here on earth to rule the earth. But what happened when sin happened? When Adam sinned, that dominion was lost. Do you realize that you and I as human beings in Adam and Eve, we were given dominion over things. To rule the earth in a sense and, and the animals and so forth. Certainly God put Adam in charge of the Garden of Eden. And yet sin forfeited all that. In fact, Romans chapter 5 says, no longer do you, do human beings have that dominion. But now, you know what has dominion over mankind? Death does. Romans chapter 5 says that sin reigns. Man no longer reigns and rules. And instead of, in a sense, being uh, having dominion, the king of the earth, man has become a slave to sin, a victim to death. But then Jesus Christ came. You remember what Paul often calls Jesus Christ? Don't miss it. He calls him the second Adam. Why? Because everything that Adam lost, Jesus Christ has regained for us. God has visited mankind through Christ. When Jesus Christ walked this earth, do you remember what he did? He ruled over all creation, didn't he? I'll tell you, a man, uh, a God who can put money in the mouth of a fish can rule over creation. A God who can steal the winds and the waves, a God who can cause a whole herd of bacon, that's pigs, to run off a cliff. My friend, that is someone who has dominion over all creation. A God that can control the fowl of the air, a God that can cause, uh, control the beast of the field. That is a God who has dominion. That as a Savior has dominion over all creation. Here was, as David put it, God visiting man. What do we call it? Emmanuel. What? God with us. Who is man that thou art mindful of him? That you would visit us. That you would provide in such a way for us. And I love the, the point that Paul makes in Hebrews chapter 2. Y yes, everything isn't fully under the dominion of Christ yet, but I love how he says, verse 9, he says this, we don't see everything and every person bowing the knee to Christ yet. We don't see all of creation under his rule and reign yet. But verse number 9, but we see Christ. We know who he is. We see him today. And we know that one day, all of creation, Every human being will bow the knee to Jesus Christ. He will control heaven and earth. Everything will be under his dominion. 
The promise of that day is coming, and there's a greater promise that he reigns and rules that you and I will be with him. Now, don't miss this. Greater still is the fact that Jesus Christ, in exerting his dominion, he did, his, he did it over sin at the cross of Calvary. And in that, he didn't just reverse or undo Adam's sin and put us back where Adam was. He did much more. In Romans chapter 5, Paul is describing what Christ accomplished as the second Adam. And do you realize at least five times, you know what he says? Adam lost this in sin to us, but Jesus Christ, through redemption and dying on the cross, he did this much more. You know what I think is the greatest representation of this? And I hope you'll go in this week and this day thinking about this. What did Adam lose for you and I in sin? Well, one of the things he lost was he and his wife Eve were kicked out of where? The Garden of Eden. Lost forever. Those two angels put there with flaming swords. You didn't want to mess with them. The Garden of Eden lost forever to mankind. We lost that in Adam's sin, but do you realize when Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary through faith and trust in him, his exerting dominion over sin and death in the grave, he didn't just win back for us the Garden of Eden, he made it now where you and I can spend eternity with God. We gain what? Heaven for all of eternity. Now I'll tell you, as good as the Garden of Eden was, it pales in comparison to heaven. And the presence of God forever. Man, isn't Jesus Christ good? Didn't he do much for us? As Paul put it, much more. You and I are saved today if we put our faith and trust in him to live with him forever. Not just go to the Garden of Eden where occasionally God comes and walks with us. No, no, no. We get to live with him forever. And this is where you and I are as believers. Here is David reflecting upon the amazing act of God on his behalf. For him, it was, hey, boy, you you were there with me, and my goodness, you gave mankind dominion over the the fowls of the air, the the fish of the sea, the animals of the beast. And I love what David thinks. Wow, we get to be over the oxen and the sheep. He he makes it for me, and I can't believe you. You allowed us as mankind. You made us, in that term, made us a little lower than the angels. That's not not a derisive or a derisive. It's not insulting us. It's saying, wow, you have a position that no other part of creation has. You have dominion over these things. God has put you in a tremendous, and David's rejoicing over this, and that you are mindful of us. You care about us. David is rejoicing over that truth, and yet David may not have realized it fully, but he was also rejoicing over what we have in Jesus Christ. Who Jesus Christ is, and what he would restore. For you and I, all of this reflects upon the greatness of the name of our Lord. There's four things, if I could put it real quick, and practical application of what we derive from what David was doing here. Uh, number one is obvious this. You can't, you can't read Psalm 8 without realizing that there was great praise. In David's mind, he was living a dream. It, it was unfathomable already, even as a youth, of what he had enjoyed from the hand of God, the deliverance, the defeat, ah, the establishment of him as the future king of Israel. And all that could go through his mind was this. Who am I? 
a shepherd boy that God should visit me. Can I tell you right now, you and I ought to think this morning in this moment as we reflect upon what David said, who are we that God should visit you and I? I can't help but think that this week there was a time when you as a believer were visited by God. You maybe opened your Bible, you entered into a prayer time, and God was there. He visited you. There may have been another time, as we talked about even last week, I believe it was, if not, forgive my uh, lack of memory, but we've talked about how there are times where God intervenes on our behalf, maybe prevents an accident, maybe does something to, to protect us and preserve us. And my friend, can I tell you, in that moment this week, God visited you. He acted benevolently on your behalf. He acted mercifully on your behalf time and time again. And beyond that, David says, what? You gave me the victory over that giant? That's unbelievable. My friend, how many victories has God given you? And may I say the most important victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? It doesn't have it. Because Jesus Christ has given us the victory through faith in him. He's visited us. I love that thought and that thou art mindful of him. That Christ would die on the cross. That he would come to earth as we celebrate this Christmas. Have you ever thought of that? How good is God to give us a time of the year that we can commemorate and celebrate Jesus Christ coming to earth? There would be no Christmas without Christ coming to earth. There wouldn't. There'd be nothing to celebrate. There'd be no celebration by giving gifts to, to represent the greatest gift that was ever given. Nothing could be there. And then he promises to lift you and I with him above the heavens. Why would he give us dominion? I'm telling you right now, hey, hunters, aren't you thankful God's given you dominion over nature? I mean, aren't you, aren't you thankful that you and I as mankind can, you know, we're, we're on the top. Now, boy, I tell you, it's going to be completely restored. I love the picture, don't you? I love the picture in Revelation where the lamb and the lion are going to lay down next to each other. Because if you did that today, what you'd have is a great National Geographic video. Pray predator soon over but not when jesus christ rules and reigns you know the other picture that we're given oh i don't even like to think about this of a child it says a child's gonna play step on top of a snake hole and won't get bitten i don't know about you but that makes up nightmares for me thinking about stepping on a snake hole or falling into a den of snakes you know what the promises of when Jesus Christ rules and reigns? Now listen, and he has his full dominion over all the creation. Snakes will not bother you. Amen. And to that I say you can go ahead and get rid of all of them too. But anyway, I'm thankful. That's the picture, right? His dominion. Man, what a promise. Man, there is much that he is, there should be praise for. So in this season of thanksgiving, may we be reminded that he is worthy of all praise. Give it to him today. We sing of it already, but have you given him praise? Oh, today you and I ought to praise him. Man, I am 
Father, I am thankful today I can go in the name of the Lord. God, here's my valley. Here's my valley of Eli. I'm looking on the edge of this. I'm going into it this week, and I know. But Father, I praise you today I can go in the name of the Lord. That in whatever way you decide and however you orchestrate it and so forth, I know that I can turn my valley into a victory as long as I go in your name. And Father, I'm grateful through faith and trust in Christ. I can go in the name of the Lord. David also speaks to this. He says, my goodness, we can praise him, but also let's be reminded of our position. He stands amazed. He's looking back, and it's a dream for him. I'm a hero of Israel. I'm the future king of Israel. I'm a treasured son of the nation. And David's thinking, man, does God treat everybody else like this? I'm a favored son of God and a child of God. And can I tell you, friend, every single one of God's children are favored. Every single one. And as David thinks about this truth, he says, man, we are the greatest of God's creation. We are made in his image. We have received glory and honor like nothing else that we do not deserve. We've been given dominion over nature and through Jesus Christ over sin and death. We have been avenged of our greatest enemy, that sin and death. We are his children. We are the sheep of his pasture. David knew vividly what it was like for a shepherd to care about every single one of a sheep. To know them by name, to, to, to care, step away, don't go there. Re- leap to the protection of a bear, uh, attacking, whatever it may be, a lion. He, he, he protects those sheep. He knows what it means to be the sheep of his pasture. David understood how intimate and how a shepherd cares so closely for them. And he says this, you are mindful of each one of us. You take note of us every single day. I just believe that David, somewhere along the way, as Jesse was teaching him how to be a shepherd. Now, now, David, I know you have a lot of sheep, but our responsibility is not to take our eyes off of one of them. You always know where they're at. You always know what they're doing. You always see the enemy before they do, and you leap to protect them. David, now listen to me. It's our responsibility as the shepherd to look out for them. It's our responsibility to take note of them every single moment. And can I tell you, you know who Jesse learned that from? You know who David said is the great shepherd? It is God in heaven. He takes note of you every day. My friend, I may not know what you faced yesterday, but there is a God in heaven who does. He's thought of you. He's taken note of you every single day. And he goes on to say what? He visits us. He visits us often. Back when I had a dog, some of you who have dogs now, it cannot be said of them that God in heaven is mindful of them every day. He doesn't visit them every day. There's only one aspect of creation of whom that is said, and that's you and I as human beings. So, Frank, can I tell you, our position is like nothing else, and it ought to (laughs) encourage us to never, ever take that position for granted. We ought to live in light of that position. How do we live in light of that position? Because you and I can go in the name of the Lord. You and I can face every valley. We can go in his name. Real quickly, number three, praise and position, but there's also, he alludes to here, power. I love this description. Christ has freed us. Those who were once slaves now have been freed. He's given us so much more. We're now called to rule and reign with him. And the day is coming we'll rule and reign. Those scriptures are crystal clear in their promise that we will rule and reign with God down the road. But don't miss this either. There is power for today. 
okay? We like to sing, uh, there is power in the blood, okay? We were meeting with some family over the, the Thanksgiving holiday, and we were talking about one of my um, uh, one of my old Sunday school teachers, great old farmer man, and uh, just loved the Lord, taught our Sunday school class forever, and in, in junior high and high school and things like that, and, and just a, a cherished older man who was a, a farmer, but he would often lead us in Sunday school in the song, There's Power in the Blood, and he would help us to see how many powers we can get in the chorus, and he'd be like, let's shoot for 10, 10 powers, and it sounded like guns going off as we sang it. But can I tell you, you you say a silly memory. Oh, sure, but you know what I remember? There's power in the blood. Power to save. And there's not just power to save you for eternity, but do you realize that there is power in Jesus Christ today to have victory? Today. I love what Paul wrote there, and I've referenced Romans chapter 5 many times, but notice this verse, Romans 5, 17. Notice the emphasis at the end of the verse. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one. We talked about this. Death has dominion. Adam sinned. He lost that dominion for a moment. Jesus Christ has come. Much more, they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, that's salvation, notice this, shall reign in life by one. Jesus Christ. You know what you can tell sin and death right now today? This isn't just about eternity. It's about today in life. You don't reign and rule over me anymore. Sin, you don't have dominion. I don't have to give in to you. I have power over you that's found in Jesus Christ alone. I can rule over sin today. It no longer has to rule over me. I no longer have to be a slave to it. How do we do that? May I just simply remind you what David found out? Today, you don't have to sin because you can go in the name of the Lord. I go in the name of the Lord. You see, Paul stated in 1 Corinthians 15, death no longer rules over us, no longer has power over us because of Jesus Christ. No member of creation, even the angels, has it been promised that we will rule and reign with him forever. So may I simply say this, live today in that power. Don't let sin rule and reign over you anymore. And last but not least, there's a promise here. Paul speaks of in Hebrews chapter 2, and as we've already detailed, the full extent of his dominion has yet to be realized. The day is coming when Jesus Christ will deliver all of creation from the bondage of sin once and for all. And uh, the one who promises this is the one who has already been faithful in all his promises. And you know what? That promise includes the redemption of this body. It will be made anew. And what a joy that is. Amen? Because some of you, you and I, we bear the scars and the wounds of creation having dominion over us. For the moment. And yet Christ is going to redeem even these bodies. Even now as he's on the throne, it bespeaks the glorious promise that all creation will one day be redeemed, that it will come true. Now listen, I'm done. This is a psalm that is a wonderful promise for all believers. It should excite us. It should uh, be a shared expression. When we read Psalm 8, we ought to say amen. Let it be so. David, we wholeheartedly agree with you. And today I want to go in the name of the Lord. But can I tell you right now, this moment, do not miss it. This psalm is really only for believers. Those who trust in the name of the Lord. 
Those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who've only trusted in Jehovah and Christ, as David did, can share these truths. Because here's the good news. God has visited earth. He has visited us. He has brought deliverance. He has shown himself strong by bringing salvation down to earth. The grace that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. But you sure don't want to miss out on being with him when this promise is fulfilled. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, friend? Have you confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead and therefore taking God at his word, thou shalt be saved? Have you done it? Have you submitted it to him in faith to enjoy all that's promised here? One of my favorite songs, we've sung it often as teenagers and now even as adults, you know it well, Victory in Jesus. Uh, great song from the first verse to the last beautiful it's fun to sing it's it's got a good pace to it i like that too but it sings about victory jesus listen to me i can sing it and i can bellow it and you can probably hear and go but i can sing it out i can sing it from the heart but you know why i can do that because friend listen to me i've already experienced victory in jesus christ so when I sing victory in Christ, it means something. It is expressive. When David said, listen, boy, out of, the, out of the mouths of babes and out of the sucklings, you give strength to even still the enemy and the avenger. David said, boy, I was there. The valley of Elah, I was there. He did that. He used me, who am I, a baby, to defeat a Goliath. He did that. And so he's seeing about it. He's expressing the truth of the victory that he's experienced in Jesus Christ. And I love the last verse of victory in Jesus. In some sweet day, I'll sing up there the song of victory. Now listen to me. That's going to be a day because we will stand in the presence of the one who gave us victory. And we will sing it. And you haven't heard bellowing until you got into heaven and heard that. But I'll tell you, even today, we can sing victory in Jesus. That song of victory when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Have you? My friend, the only way that you'll go tomorrow in the name of the Lord, you'll go in his strength, and you'll see a victory in your valleys is by putting your faith and trust in him. May I tell you right now, friend, believer, can I encourage you, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Father, we thank you for your word. We are grateful for the truths of it. We're thankful for how it comforts us and challenges us and encourages us. And Father, I I pray even in this moment, in this invitation, that you would smite the heart that has yet to put their faith and trust in you. That they would see the great need to trust the God of heaven, the one who has promised dominion over sin and death through Jesus Christ. Father, for we as believers, I pray you'd forgive us for where we have faltered and failed heading into the valley to go in your name. We've been more like Saul. We've been more like David's brothers. And thank you that we can't handle it in our own strength and try to do so. And and Father, we fail in that valley. But Father, help us to remember that when we go in your name, every valley can be a victory. Lord, I pray you'd help us as your children to be reminded daily of our position, of why you are worthy of praise, of the power we have in Christ, of the promise of things to come. And Lord, may we go in your name on a daily basis. May our attitude and our spirit be right. May we face every day knowing that you have conquered it, that it is your day. Help us to rejoice and be glad in it. My Father, would you help us in this moment to make careful application of wherever we are in the spectrum of life. 
and the spectrum of spiritual growth. May we take these truths and may we apply it. And Father, you know our heart's cry is that there be one here that is unsaved, that they would allow us to take your word and show them how they can know for sure that heaven is their home, that Jesus Christ is their Savior, and they can experience the goodness of God for all of eternity. Lord, would you bless and work in this, in this visitation, invitation, Father? I pray that you would work in the hearts of believers too. Would you help us to determine to go in your name on a daily basis? We repeat what David says here, how excellent is your name in all the earth. May we, be remember, may we be reminded that we are often on your mind and your heart, that you visit us often. May we praise you for it. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I ask you to join me in standing.